And now I would like to introduce our speaker, Peter M. My name is Peter, a recovered alcoholic. Uh, grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, God separated me from alcohol on uh, June 23rd, 1988, so I'm grateful to be here, grateful to be recovered. Um, even though they can't hear me, I apologize to the folks who couldn't get in here. Some guy was offering me 50 bucks to get in. Uh, I told him next week we'll do that. Um, but it is what it is, so we'll, we'll have some fun anyway. Uh, before we get going, I just want to share something with you as we talk about 6, 7, 8, 9, and uh, eventually we'll be talking about entering the world of the spirit and what that looks like. There was a gentleman outside speaking with me. Um, I hide out down by the, the entrance over there, and he asked me a great question. He said, what's the difference between being just dry and recovered? And it's a great question, because we talk about being recovered in Alcoholics Anonymous, and sometimes you hear dry drunk. Uh, one is living in the sunlight of the spirit, one is just going to meetings and not doing much else, and all the bedevilments are still running your life. And then we become used to that, and that's when we get really dangerous. I found some from my own experience and some from others that uh, we can be more dangerous without a drink in us than when we were drinking. Because when we're drinking, we're predictable. When we're not drinking, we're still thieves and liars and cheats, but we're sober when we're doing it. So I'd like to share this lots of times that when I do these deals, uh, this woman who's a hero of mine, and if you ever get to read her story, it's pretty interesting. It says people are often unreasonable and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. If you find happiness, people may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. For you see, in the end, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. One of the things that can get us into trouble, can get me into trouble, is my attachments to other people's viewpoints of me and how I'm living. And we all know what that's like when we're drinking or we're coming up. We're chameleons. We'll play the role wherever we are. If we're around gangsters, we're gangsters. If we're around nightclub folks, we're nightclub folks. If we're around jocks, we're athletic. If we're around musicians, we know music. And we just long hair, short hair, crew cuts, military tattoos, we race the tattoos. I mean, it's bizarre what we do just to fit in because I'm attached to what other people think of me. And I never get a chance to allow God to do what God has to do. And sometimes I won't do it, uh, an act of charity because I think people will think uh, poorly of me. I'm weak. Or perhaps I won't stand up for myself because I think people are going to think I'm taking advantage of someone. And at the end of the day, it's between me and God how I live. And if God is determining my life, if I'm allowing God to, gen uh, to guide me through my life, all is well. Because when I live with God, it's all love and no opposite. Very often we're looking for happiness. We're trying to get happiness. We're reaching out there for happiness. And uh, as if I'm going to get to this place that says, here's happiness. You got it. Now run with it. And we'll never get there. Usually happiness is based on what I think is right for me. And it may be contradicting all the spiritual laws that God has set out for me. 
And the only way I can feel any kind of happiness or joy is through inner peace, which is permanent. Another book says, gain the world and lose your soul. I can achieve many things and lose me in the process of it, and I lose God in the process of it. How do I get to happiness? It's by the chopping wood and carrying water. It's how I'm doing in, my, in all my daily affairs. How am I treating other people? Am I only treating people who look rich? Only treating people who look nice? Only treating people who are popular kindly? Or am I treating the person who isn't attractive to me? who may not be a pillar of health, who may be broken, poor, and homeless, and has nothing, and it's difficult to be around them. Can I treat them the same way as I do with someone who's popular, who I want to get with? Because that's really how I'm practicing God's work, and that's where I'll find my peace, love, contentment, and eventually happiness. It's in the chopping wood and carrying water. It isn't some place out there, Shangri-La, that I'm going to get to. Well, when I do the steps, I'm going to get happiness. It's in doing the steps that will find peace and contentment and we'll experience God. And sometimes we think or we go through this work, well, when I go through the work, I'm going to get happy, and therefore life will no longer be problematic to me. I won't experience some of the things that people out there experience, like people dying, being faced with poor health, end of a relationship, bankruptcy. We will. Some of us will. Some of us will be face-to-face -face with some really difficult obstacles, and we say, well, it doesn't work, and God doesn't work. How do I move through that as my dependence upon God? And that is the most important relationship I have. My prayer life is the most important event of my day. And we'll be able to navigate through that. Bill talks about emotional sobriety. It isn't by taking another coffee commitment that we're going to get emotional sobriety. Anybody can make coffee. It's about how I'm going through my life, what my relationships look like. First with God and then with others. One through five, I get unhooked from ego. And somewhere between five through nine, I get connected with you as I get connected with God. And by the time we enter the world of the Spirit, I have a relationship with God that experientially I can talk to you about. I don't have to draw words out of the big book or scripture. I can just tell you how I live experientially. And we start to see how our amends list, each time we go through the work, starts to shrink compared to the first time we went through the work. But if I'm looking for applause and I'm looking for accolades and I'm looking to get around the popular people because of a self-seeking motive, and trust me, even our best motives have shabby motives in it. In fact, a drunk with a motive should be considered armed and dangerous, right? right? But when I'm going through life looking for that stuff, the external world owns me. And even though I'm looking for utopia and I'm looking for God, it'll never be found because all I have to do is go in. The word sin that we talk about, we think of committing bad things. The big sin, really, is feeling the disconnection between me and God. Like there is no God right now, so therefore I do what I do. And I become the landlord of my own little kingdom, only letting the people I want in who are going to endorse my unspiritual behavior and thinking. And so I'm constantly reaching out to get to feel good. The self wants more women, the self wants more money, the self wants more uh, possessions, the self wants more popularity. But secretly, we all know, because we've all walked that path where we were drinking or in AA, secretly we know when the head goes on the pillow that something's radically wrong. I'm still not right. I'm still not okay. I'm still searching. 
And then what do we do? We go out and achieve more stuff. And we're trying to run away from our own shadows, what we're doing. And we keep losing. And we start to get more stuff. And the more stuff I get, I get a temporary relief and I get further away from God. And the defects of character all, all, all over this. That's why last week I said six and seven are first step for life. Because these are the things that will generate me to go out and search to feel okay in here rather than just going in and finding God there as I stand in the raw. I was talking to someone today and um, there's two places in our life where we're as pure as the driven snow. When we're born and maybe in our first couple of years, we don't need clothes, we don't need money, we just want mama and a bottle. And somehow a baby knows once he's in mama's arms, it's okay. As soon as you're born, they put you right in mama's arms. Now that baby doesn't know the word love, but he can experience it. They just know it. That's a God deal. And the other part we get to is when we're on our deathbed and we know we're about to go home. At that point, all the money we have means nothing. And the clothes we own and the car we drive and the home we means nothing. Everything is stripped. We're down to the roar again. It's just us and God. And the non-believer will suddenly say, I hope there's a God. It's when we're our most pure. What goes on in the middle is the, the, uh, the uh, 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 gathering up of things, belief systems, relationships, and things. And the ego flourishes. But we can't live life on life's terms. So what do I need? Because I'm failing all the time is a drink to shut it down because I'm so fearful of everything. And the more I accumulate to get away from this pain and misery, it just creates more pain and misery because I know secretly it doesn't work. The ego wants all and is really always empty. And yet when I'm completely empty, which this work will do, it'll drive us to feel completely empty. We're the most full. And nothing is where I experience everything. That is uncomfortable for a drunk to experience, to go through, the four through nine especially, and coming face to face with our own demons in six and seven, because the drink has been removed 20 days ago, 30 days, 60 days ago, a year ago, depending on when we go through the work. The drink problem has been removed. We're not drinking. The body doesn't need alcohol. There's no craving going on, perhaps an obsession, maybe other behaviors. And then we take a look at what, what we've done so far, what we've accumulated, and what is constantly driving us, defects of character. And I can't work on my defects of character because I'm working on me. I'm broken. And I work on my defects with a defective mind. That's broken. And all I'm going to do is accumulate more defects. I'm going to minimize some, I'm going to minimize some here, and I'll act out there. I'll minimize those and act out there. And I'm constantly chasing my shadow, huh? The only one who's going to repair me is by the touch of the master's hand. So what's my relationship with God look like? Everything has to get removed. What would the steps look like if we remove six and seven from the 12 steps? Imagine going to make amends in step nine, still loaded up with defects that are running your life. It would be purely self-seeking motive. I'm here, ain't I great? Tell me I'm sorry and I can get out my life. Rather than going there to repair. So I need to, it's a daily surrender. I need to go to God again in six and seven and surrender everything that I, that's left with out of my fifth step. 
It's funny, when we get to eight and nine, they talk about going to any lens twice. In step three, they talk about any lens. Does any lens constantly any lens? Not to rest on my laurels because I'm headed for trouble. Who takes me to trouble as a drunk? Is my own thinking mind. I am my, my own nightmare. I am my own greatest sin. I am my own enemy. No one else, not the drink, not the drug, no one in my home group, none of my bosses, none of my relations, they're not the enemy. I am my enemy. I think I shared last week that I had an experience in 6 and 7. The words that came out of my mouth was, Father, save me from me. And the way I was brought up, there was someone who went to the cross to remove everything from me. Can I forgive myself for my, for my shortcomings? Can I forgive myself for my defects? If I think I can, how much of an egomaniac have I become that I can't forgive me, but someone was sacrificed to do that? Oh, I'm greater than that, I guess, huh? I'm so great that even the carpenter can't forgive me. It's ego coming in through the back door. Our book warns us not to drift in worry, remorse, or morbid reflection. First, it would diminish my usefulness to others. Second, my ego's coming through the back door again. I can't believe I did this. Oh my God, I'm unforgivable. I'm so bad. And it goes on and on. At that point, I'm consumed with me. And despair, which is a result of that, is an extreme form of self all over again. There's no humility in that. The humility is I know I'm going to score from time to time. I know I'm going to speak inappropriately. I know I'm going to make a mistake. That's why I put erasers on pencils and I turn back to my Heavenly Father and say, I've made a mistake. Please forgive me. What do I do to make it right? And in the forgiving, willing to forgive myself, I stand ready ready to change. But if I don't forgive myself and I don't forgive you, I'm not ready to do anything but be consumed with more of me and defects of character. It's interesting when we learn how to forgive others and we learn to have forgive ourselves, how much more right we get. I'm not so judgmental of others. I'm not so quick to speak. I'm slow to speak. And quick to hear. And another book talks about slow to wrath on others. Do I condemn others because they make a mistake? The same mistakes that I, that I let myself off the hook for from time to time. Right? Defects of character. I judge you. I criticize you. I have no mercy on you. I cast you out. Oh, he's a relapser. Don't even let him in here. You know, he's womanizing, I can't be around that guy. Those are the folks who are sick and suffering, why God got me sober to go to the sick and suffering. A doctor doesn't treat people who are well. They don't even go into the office when we're feeling good. We don't go to a doctor. A doctor treats those who are sick. That's what God allows us to do, to treat the people who are sick. The man or woman who keeps relapsing over and over and over again, they're the real deal. Do I stand ready to assist them, huh? Another book says the wrath of men doesn't produce the righteousness of God. How am I doing with that? Right? I'm going to punish him. I'll teach him a lesson. Really, let's talk to God about that one. Right? So step one, we looked at the problem. That I'm beat, I'm licked, and I'm going to drink. Regardless of the consequences, I am drinking. There is no way out of step one unless I get God. Step one tells me, Peter Marinelli, you're drinking until you die. No way out. Well, what do I do? Am I convinced that I'm done? 
that even my best thinking, no matter how much I pretty up a junkyard, I'm going to go back to drinking again. I can give you good reasons. I can justify it. I can really make it look good why I need to do what I need to do. And there's always a drink behind it. And for some of us, the drink doesn't show up right away. The drink shows up later on. What shows up are the sprees, the sex sprees and the food sprees, etc. The thinking sprees, and we're just not right. We're sitting in a meeting like this, and my mind has 14 conversations going on at once. Anyone drive over to this meeting alone in their car tonight? Anyone? Show of hands. Right. You're all lying. I'll tell you why. <laughs> if you think about the ride over here, how many people were you talking to at the same time while you were driving? Right? And they're waiting for you when you get back in the car. Look at you. You're late. I can't believe how lame you are. You go to AA. You know? And they'll follow you home and tuck you in in bed. And when you wake up, they're still there. Saying, look at you. I can't even believe you're still married to this. What's wrong with you? Right? And then we come into AA. How you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm so spiritual. <laughs> I'm present to the moment, right? <laughs> Defects of character. So we look at step one, the unmanageability is not knowing what the day is going to look like when we go drink, but we're going to go drink. Step one says we are going to drink. Not that I can't drink. I need to find this power called God and get right with this power called God. And step two is the pointer. We talked about that. That this God, this power greater than myself, it could be a group of drunks for good only direction will get me to a place of wholeness of mind through the emptying out, the purging, this metanoia where I'm cleaned out to get a renewal of the mind, a God mind. And we will get a God mind. God will not deny me his abundance. God will not deny you his freedom. God will not deny you mercy, which is what we're searching for when we hit the bottom. The day we're separated and we go from that place to treatment or that place to a detox or that place to AA, we're willing at that moment, even if it's brief, to do anything. Please help me. We need mercy. That doesn't stop because we're sober in AA a while. It's freely given its grace. And you know what we do with that after a while? I don't need it. I know what I need to do now. I know I need to go through the steps. I'm going to start next week. Like a crackhead says, I don't need to smoke now. I'll smoke next week. <laughs> or the drunk who needs a drink and is shaking, no, I'll wait till next week. We do it now. And our book says, may you find him, God, now. Not next week, not in 90 days after you get your 90 and 90. People die off for that, by the way. Make 90 meetings in 90 days. Do it. Great. But in 90 days, be sponsoring a few people because you've already gone through the work. That'll ruffle feathers at some meetings. What do you mean? You got to hang around, make coffee commitments, and die. And be completely twisted up. And then before you know it, you're 13-stepping and justifying it. Right. Well, my sponsor says, take it easy. You're not ready for the steps. Really? So I'm wheeled into an emergency room called AA. I'm bleeding to death in this emergency room called AA. And some genius says, keep bleeding. Hang around. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but this power is going to bring me to a place of love and mercy and understanding and contentment and peace and sanity. And when I get restored to sanity, I'm not insane, which means my mind is no longer talking to me about drinking anymore. We're looking at permanent sobriety, and not only the obsession gets removed, but how about this? How about with the greatness of God that even the thinking about drinking gets removed? It's as if it's plucked out depending on my spiritual condition. 
God is constantly giving, constantly pursuing every one of us, and we have a roadmap to experience this like we wanted to perhaps on day one where we were willing to do anything, and suddenly that changes because I got a red chip in 90 days and I'm good to go. I need to get her number first before I talk to God. How did that happen? How do we go sideways? Our book talks about seeking this power with the desperation of a drowning man or woman. I almost drowned one time in Mexico, literally. Almost drowned in Mexico one time. Uh, in fact, I, I was in that panic, I, I saying to myself, I'm dying, I'm gonna die. What a horrible way to go, in Mexico, in the ocean. I don't even know anybody in Mexico. And a boat came out of nowhere, and all I remember is some guy grabbing me by the butt and pulling me up, and I didn't care if my bathing suit came off. I didn't care if my hair was a little messed. I didn't care. <laughs> I would have done anything at that moment. I didn't want to die. And I thought I was about to die. I was swallowing water. I could hear myself screaming underwater. And the water, it was in rough shape. And this guy pulled me up. And I didn't need a 911 call. They brought, whatever they did, they fixed me up. The desperation of a drowning man I had, literally. Why does that change when we're in AA just a little while? We start to feel good, get the wrinkles out of our belly, and God and prayer become something I have to do during the day, but not the most important thing I do during the day. The most important event that will happen in my life if God wakes me up tomorrow morning is my prayer time. No distractions, no having a cup of coffee while I'm praying or reading the paper or driving to my car and praying. That's just dialogue with God that's great, but the commitment... And the discipline that is required means I shut everything down and I give myself to my God. And I offer some words to connect, to communicate with this power. And then I back it up with my meditation and now I listen. And sometimes nothing happens. Sometimes just the stillness of me and shutting down this terrible mind that's always thinking. And sometimes to an intuitive thought, because there's transparency now from spirit to head, that I will get something. Give Joe a call. That's been a practice of mine when I meditate. If someone I know comes to me in meditation, I call them. It's always, wow, I could have used the phone call. I'm so glad you called, man. That's the most important event of my day. That allows me to go to work. That allows me to be friends. That allows me to do good things. That allows me to do this tonight. So I make a decision in three to get to this power call God. Power greater myself, group of drunks, good only direction, our own conception, no matter how inadequate was sufficient. Am I willing? That's the whole deal in this. Are we willing to go to any lengths? And if I'm not, I need to touch step one. Perhaps some of us are not done. When I was drinking, I would go to any lengths, any, many, any lengths to get money, to get a drink, to get a drink. I lie, cheat, steal, manipulate, do whatever I had to do, any lens, all hours of the night, bootleggers in the projects, whatever it was, to get a drink and get a jug. Anything was possible. That sort of spirit carries into this. And Dr. Bob said, if we went after this with half the zeal we went after drinking, we'd be okay. So those of us who aren't making it, we're not even giving 50% to our saving our own life. So how can then I have a relationship with a man or a woman if I'm not even dedicating 50% of me to fix my life, yet I want to have a relationship with someone else? Boy, oh boy, talking about a lot of amends to make. Old timers would tell me, you have no right to even have a relationship with a guppy at this point. <laughs> because I'm bringing my baggage to you. 
And I'm not even willing to do 50% of the work to even fix me and get me upright in some spiritual muscles. I become a danger to, my, to society. Not drinking, by the way. Now, contemporary A would probably take me outside and tar and feather me. I don't care. I'll go to the cross for that one. I'm not going to lie to a drunk. I've watched too many of us die in the years. I've been sober. They said, I've been going to AA. It doesn't work. How come? Well, I don't know. I, don't, I tried not to drink and go to meetings. I kept getting drunk. It doesn't work. They're all full of baloney. Well, that is messages full of baloney. It's not in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Right? That's why I didn't mean I was, wasn't joking before when I said 90 days. At the end of 90 days, how many people are you sponsoring? And what was your spiritual transformation looking like? Make a decision in three to get there. And rubber hits the road here with four, because I get to look at me and no one else. My resentment life, my sex life, my fear life, and how I've been operating. And I get to see in the first three columns how my whole life has been based on a lie, based on my perceptions and conception about everything. I've been living a lie. I behave a certain way based on my thinking about this. I behave a certain way based on, based on my perceptions of what's going on. All fear, all generated by fear. I can never see truth. I walk through life sound asleep, sleepwalking through life. Get married sleepwalking, get divorced sleepwalking, get career sleepwalking. I have no clue what's going on. Regardless of the amount of money I get, property and prestige that I acquire, regardless of my popularity, at the end of the day, my head hits the pillow. I know deep down inside at a cellular level, something is wrong. I'm just not right. I'm embarrassed about a lot of my behavior. I can't even tell anyone about the amount of fear that I'm consumed with. So what do I do? Get another car. Open up another company. Make more money, illegal or legal, who cares? I need something to fix this wound that won't get healed. But would I turn to God? Well, come on, we're going to talk about God now. Can't talk to God. God's knocking on my door every morning, but I keep ignoring him. He's okay. I'll get you tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, God knocks on my door. He says, I don't have time for you. That's weak and cowardly. God says, okay. Knocks, it keeps knocking. And then when we hit bottom in here, that all self-reliance is removed. And for some of us, it's a brief window. It's a moment that it happens. For me, it was a moment. I had this moment of clarity where I'm in serious trouble and I can't fix this. Please take me from this. That's all that's required as a mustard seed of willingness happens in a flash. And suddenly we flip. Because the very same people that we rejected, who were carrying a message of God, who were carrying a message of hope, we go seeking them because the mind is not running the show. The spirit is following the spirit. We will do things on a spiritual path that look from the outside totally lunatic, like lunatics based on our own life. It makes no sense. We will find ourselves in the middle of big book people. We will find ourselves in the middle of an AA conference. We will be giving service to others and helping those in need. And we don't even think about it. It's just the way we're moved because God's steering finally. And that's where we experience happiness. That's where I experience joy, content, and peace. We give three, four hours, six hours, eight hours in a fifth step, listening to someone's fifth step, and we're exhausted. The head goes on a pillow at night. Great day. When I'm cutting up and lying and cheating and stealing, I'm having instant gratification. The next day, oh my God, I did it again. I discuss all of this with someone in step five. And there's a force feeding of humility here. Who, in, in the 12 and 12, it says, who 
cares to admit complete defeat. I always think about that for step five. I'm going to show up to you and say, here's my life with all my deficiencies, all my wrongdoing, all my resentments. And as a man, here's my sex life and my fear life. Oh, my God. I grew up, you don't tell anyone anything. Keep your mouth shut. We never did, but that's what we were told, right? And suddenly they're saying, you need to tell me now everything you put on paper. Here's where God, again, orchestrates the whole thing. We get people like us who are completely immersed in self and never want to show weakness unless I'm going to get something from you. Because we can cry if I know you're going to give me something based on how hard I cry. And suddenly that's not what this is about. It's about, here's my life, please save me. And God orchestrates the entire thing. And we come out of that freer and lighter. But the effect produced by that really gets to experience somewhere in six through nine. But we just know something has changed. There's something right. And a lot of us talk about how we finally feel connected to AA after our fifth step. I hear that a lot. I know it was true for me. I felt like I really belonged in Alcoholics Anonymous. I did a fifth step according to what my big book says with the big book sponsor. Something's right. But I can't stop there because the defects of character are still alive. I've acknowledged them. I've, I've identified them. But am I willing to let them go? Am I willing to have everything removed, everything I think I am, about to get removed even more, more stripping down, more pruning? When you prune a tree, it doesn't feel good to the tree. The tree feels pain. But it's necessary for it to live. We constantly got to get pruned, ripped down, shredded. And the stuff, the weeds that have grown have to get removed. Right away, we recoil. Hey, this I don't like. This is uncomfortable. I thought I was supposed to be joyous, happy, and free and go to the diner and drink coffee all night. Right? Not on this path. It's a narrow road. It's a disciplined road. Are you in? I go back to step one. How willing am I? Has the willingness lessened? How desperate was I when I got here? Has that lessened? Where do I stand? At some point, the drink, the way it was on us when we first get in here, is not on us anymore. It was a long time ago. So at some point, I need to be desperate to experience God because I like the effect produced by God. And I'll start to see how many of my defects of character were generated all by fear, the evil and corroding thread. My lust is fear, my greed is fear, my sloth is fear, my envy, all the seven deadly sins, all fear. My sexual behavior, fear. My lying, fear. It's all fear. Fear is just a manifestation of self. Is not God greater than fear? Absolutely. If he isn't, we're in a lot of trouble. Of course he is. Our book says we will outgrow fear. Freedom, free from fear, is a state of beingness. It's not occasional visit. It's a state of beingness. We're free of fear. If, the build, if this building, God forbid, was burning down, we'd get out of here. Because we don't want to die, we have this thing, let's protect ourselves. Let's, get, let's help people out. I'm talking about the psychologically induced fear when you're sitting on your couch and you're wrapped up in a ball. Oh, my God, and there's nothing wrong. You put your head on a pillow at night, and it's spinning. What if this, and how about that? And oh, my God, this is going to happen. It's never going to work out. And that's how we operate. And I expect to have a relationship with you that's clear and free and transparent and never happen. 
when I have fear, there's no God in that moment, in that equation. Huh? It's about constantly surrendering. So I, I think last week I talked about how I was able to get an idea what these defects look like and go to God for the opposite of every defect. Anger, love, self-centered, God-centered. And I offer these defects to God, and God's going to do what God's going to do with them. And it's more prepping for eight and nine. Get as clean and free as we possibly can to go out and make amends. You don't have to be pure as a driven snow but at least willing to let go of the rest of the things that are going to drive me back to a drink. A lot of them will be lost in five, but they're the nuggets that are left in six and seven, and again, it's a surrender. And if we notice at the end of the seven-step prayer, there is an amen, because that going in is, is done. Now, that body of work has been closed, and we close that with a great prayer called the seven-step prayer, which is really about me being of maximum service to God and others around me, whoever they may be. It doesn't say just an AA. Maximum service to others means others, anyone. You know. The bum on the corner who reeks, who hasn't taken a shower in a month, who's living in a cardboard box and puts his hand out from under the box, you got two bucks. And I got about $500 in my pocket. Oh, he's a bum. I'm not doing that. But I'll go pick up a tab for all my friends at some fancy restaurant to look good. That's not God's work. I'm, because I'm a big spender, I'm not doing God's work. I'm a show-off. I'll go get the guy a sandwich, I'll give him a couple of bucks, give him a drink, even if I've given him liquor so he doesn't get sick and goes into a convulsion, I'll do that for him. Because that's just as much God as when I go to church and pray. God wants me to take care of his children, wants you to take care of his children. My defects of characters don't take care of his children, take care of me. I'm the most important person at any meeting. Really? <laughs> right. No, I'm not. I'm the last guy in a rung. The newcomer is, they tell us. And sometimes even a newcomer is not the most important person. Because someone may walk through that door with 30 years sober, who's this close to a drink and is dying. Right now, we got to help him or her. The newcomer is sponsored up. They're okay tonight. I can't see any of that if I'm consumed with my defects of character. These are the things that will drive me back to a drink. If I don't turn to God, have God deal with his defects of character, they will deal with me. And it will not be pretty, be ugly, and I will take people with me. Not because I'm powerful or you're powerful, but our isms are. Alcoholism is. It wants people. It's never satisfied. Speak to any drunk's family and see the damage we cause. Sober. Sober. Being separated from the substance is just the beginning, huh? In fact, if... If we think just not drinking is the solution, the big book would say, don't pick up a drink, period, one page, go home. But we have 164 pages, plus doctor's opinion, and 43 pages dedicated to step one because of the importance of it. And the whole book, there's principles behind every step, but the whole book is a bunch of spiritual laws that have to follow. Spiritual laws, very narrow road. Too much latitude. And I can take all my riches and all my money, and I can't fit through. And yet I have nothing, but I live according to God's will, and I fit through the archway. The eye of a needle, right through. Take all my money, all my possessions. I own stuff. I'm full of me, never sought God. I can't buy my way through. It's not going to happen. God will not violate his own spiritual law. 
And so I work on six and seven. What I do at six and seven, I, I, I don't, we don't stay in six and seven every day. I've heard I work all the steps every day. You got problems. <laughs> you don't work all the steps every day. I'm working on six and seven every day. Well, that's God's job. My job is to surrender. Stay surrendered. Perhaps, like I do, I like to offer the opposites and let God will do what God has to do with my defects. But I'll sit with that in prayer and reflection for a couple of days. And it's about moving into 8 and 9 because here's what goes on in 8 and 9. As I'm showing up to you to make amends, we will see the defects get further grinded into dust. When I'm showing up to you and I'm showing I'm accountable and responsible for the damage I did, I'm suiting up and showing up for ripping you off, for speaking harshly, whatever my harm was, you will see those defects get quiet. They can't exist in that movement. It's a God movement. There's no room for defects. And the folks who are fired up on amends are all lathered up on making amends and going out there and doing drive-by amends, basically. Right? Those folks are on a completely different path from someone sitting around and don't leave till the miracle happens. You could be waiting a long time because the miracle already happened. You're sitting in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's happened. Somehow you've been separated from the substance which owned you for the longest time. Now my butt is parked in a chair in AA and some guy comes up and says, don't leave till the miracle happens. When is this thing supposed to show up? Just keep coming back and we keep getting drunk. It showed up. You're in AA. Welcome home. Right? So I make a list, step eight, that comes out of step four, most of it. My entire list was not based out of just step four. Most of it was. When I was going through resentment inventory, I saw the harms caused as part of my list. When I'm looking at my fear inventory, I see how much harm I caused out of fear. When I looked at principles and institutions, I saw how much harm was caused out of my resentments with principles and institutions. My sex inventory, how much harm was caused out of my sex inventory. But then we have some uh, amends that we need to make that what didn't even come out of that. So we make a list of people we've harmed, places we've harmed. We look around the relationship too. Maybe I owe you an amends for some behavior that I did was inappropriate, but perhaps I affected your friends too or your family because of it. I owe them as well. I owe. We owe. And God will bring us to it and through it. God will give us the armor and the tools we need to go suit up and show up and make amends because we're doing his work. And we're giving people back their dignity. We're giving people back their respect. And I will say this, we get to heal through God. We get to heal people in Alcoholics Anonymous. We watch families get reborn and resurrected and healed in Alcoholics Anonymous because of the great work God lets us do and the great power he fuels us up with. He orchestrates it. It's his hands, but he lets us go do it. We're the messengers. We're the agents, my book says, for God. We will see it happen in step nine when I knock on your door with an envelope of money and ready to make amends to ripping you off or suiting up and show up and telling you I've been embezzling for the longest time, whatever it might be. I lied to you, whatever it might be. But I'm making, I'm being accountable. I'm showing responsibility. When it comes to institutions, I think of something fairly recent in an amends that I never thought this was going to happen. When we're in amends, we go from a place of what we know right now that's tangible, that's in front of us, that the mind can understand, to a place called the unknown. It's the world of the spirit. We make financial amends and relationships clear up. We make relationship amends and finances clear up. The dots don't line up. 
Not in the realm of the spirit. We can't figure it out. But we watch things happen. So I go back to my church because I had lots of problems with the church. A lot of problems with the Catholic church based on the obvious current events that we've been reading about for years. A lot of contempt, even for the congregation. I'd walk in and say, hypocrite, 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 hypocrite. But I would never hold up a mirror and say, Peter, so are you. Who's judging? Me, but I only saw them judging. I would judge without mercy. No mercy is going to come to me who judges. Oh boy. I had problems with priests. I had problems with the whole thing. It was only one piece of mass that I honored. Well, that was on my list. I had to go back, and I did it in the form of a confession. And I, I don't want to break a tradition here, but I went to my church, and I sat in confession. And it wasn't for confession. It was there to make amends to a priest. I says, here's where I've been with the church, and I need to make this right. He didn't preach to me. He listened, and he gave me direction. He didn't tell me, he didn't even tell me come back as an amends. He told me what to do, how I can make it right. But he was an awakened man. He knew I was waiting for him to say, now come every Sunday. I said, see, you're all the same. He didn't do that. He just gave me some instruction, gave me absolution. The next morning I went back to church and the doors blew open on my life. Visiting my creator's house once a week for one hour, I get all of this back. It has blown the doors off me. To a place that I had contempt and judgment for has been a, a place of refuge for me. I'm in love with it. I weep every Sunday. And the best part is I don't care I'm weeping. Marion looks at me. We, she cries. I cry. We cry. Everybody cries. We go home. <laughs> yeah. right. it's, the, it's the greatest thing. A gentleman in AA came up to me and says, um, why do you always sit in the back? He said, up front. I said, I'm a sinner, joking around. He said, well, I'm going to get you up front. How would you like to read it? something called a, a, a lector. I said, me? What am I? Well, you know, I'm an AA guy. He said, no, you do that. You'll participate. You'll see it from a complete different view. Be part of it. I got to answer the call. Even if it's just walking around up there, dusting the altar if I had to. That came out of an amends to my religious community. I was going to make amends and something great happened for me personally. And interesting how a lot of other areas of my life have cleaned up that was some, somewhat troublesome and has opened up a door to this new inspiration following some authors that I've never studied before. It's been incredible, indeed miraculous, through amends. Making amends to principles. There were no defects in the way when I went to that church to make confession to the priest. That was removed for a minute so I can hear what was going to be told. And if I'm clear, I can hear. I wasn't driven by voices for the past for a brief moment. I heard what the priest had to say. The next morning, I was back in church and boom. Look where I stand now. On a personal level. Not to impress anyone here. That wouldn't be God's job to impress. But very quietly, I sit in the back row, and I love what's going on. I'm honored to be there, because based on my track record, I'm not supposed to be there. Yeah. The power of amends, great things happen. One of the things we want to ask ourselves is, if I'm saying I've gone through all 12 steps, 
but I still have outstanding amends that I could be making tonight, and I'm not. Amends that I could be making, but I and I wouldn't be causing harm in so doing. Amends that I could go make and make it right. I wouldn't harm anyone in making those amends, and I'm not. Have I really had a spiritual awakening as a result of the 12 steps? Or have I really had a spiritual awakening as a result of steps nine and a half? Nine and a quarter. Nine and I'm really comfortable now. Nine and I'm a star now. Have I completed all the amends I'm consciously aware of? And do I think completing those amends has anything to do with me drinking again or not? Uh-oh. I got 40 amends out there that I could be making. I wouldn't cause harm when I go make those amends. I'll probably make it right, but my mind took over. It doesn't tell me. The ego's running the show. It doesn't tell me. And I say, well, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And the days go by, and I'm getting closer to a drink, but my mind says, no, you're not. You're great. You're gold. Back to step one. It's not going to say tomorrow we're getting drunk, so get ready. So where do we stand with amends? I want to be around people out there making amends, making amends, talking about amends, because it will surface. You shake it up to wake it up. So, wow, I just thought of an amends I have to make. I haven't made it yet. And we complete the amends that we're consciously aware of, and it'll still more will come. But it starts with this list. And I made a list of people, institutions, principles that I had to make amends to. Everyone went on the list. Drug dealers, gangsters, you name it. Everyone went on the list. And my job was to pray for willingness to go to every single person on that list. It wasn't up to me to be discerning here, well, I'm not going to go there, I'm going to... No. I make a list of people I owe amends to. Step nine, to the council of a sponsor, will say, you don't go there, you'll cause more harm. Our book understands what the things we've done. That I can't just run up to a judge and say, hey, I've been embezzling from my uh, company, take me away and leave my wife and three kids behind. Unless I give them permission. And if it's a bad marriage, you'll say, yeah, go to the judge, keep going, you know. (laughs) So I pray, and I did, I pray for the willingness coming out of seven to this list. Thank you, God, for the willingness to go to any lens. Thank you, God, for the willingness to make amends to who you see fit. And the knee-jerk reaction is go right back to mama and dad, go back to the wife or the husband, go back to the kiddies, because that's my home and I want to make it right. And sometimes we have to wait. They want to see a sermon, not hear one. The guy who saw most of my damage was my dad. He was married to a woman who was alcoholic. She brought him to hell and back. I pick up where my mom leaves off, and I take him to hell and drop him off. I land in AA, Shangri-La. He's still dealing with the demons. He's still not really trusting. Well, the first thing I want to do is knock on my dad's door and say, I'm gold. Everything's good. Forgive me. And my response is, absolutely not. You wait on that one. You walk this walk. You earn it. What we're doing, speak so loud, we can't hear a word you're saying. Go walk this walk. You don't have to say a word. Just by your deportment, you will shout you're a man or a woman who's experiencing God. And we become trustworthy. I don't have to remember to become trustworthy. My word is my bond. I don't have to remember to do that. I'm reliable. I'm responsible. I'm dependable. I'm honest because that's what God has for us. I don't have to remember to do that. I'm in. I'm not on the outer circle. I'm in. It's how God allows me to live. It's a channel from me to God from you to God. We have to remember to be honest. We're honest. And we know when we're not. 
And so after some time, I went and sat down with my dad. It was a, I was sober a little bit. I completed a lot of other men's prior to sitting with my dad. And I was able to make amends. And the words had some depth and weight because he saw me living this, which is really important. The first time I went through the work, I made direct amends, uh, over 200 direct amends, eyeball to eyeball, the first time through the work. Now, that doesn't mean you have to, just where my story took me to. Some of us have five or six or 15 or 20. And there were a lot of what I call the indirect amends, but I was doing them. There were people I, I was told I could only pray for their well-being. Because if I went and knocked on a door, I'd unopened Pandora's box, it'd be a mess. I'd harm a lot more people, but I've harmed them. So I would pray for their well-being, and the harm I caused them, I stopped doing to other people. The indirect events, putting back into society, putting back into the universe, because I ripped the universe off. And the more I stood on that firing line, without attachments, while well, I made amends, so where's my, you know, happiness? It was happening in that work. I was sleeping at night. I was taking care of my body. I was responsible to me to others. I was showing up for work. I became a journeyman in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I loved my God. All different things that have happened for me. My relationships improved greatly. I'm able to be in a relationship with a woman and be completely honest and not play, you know, play sides. Not make detours on the way home. You guys know what I'm talking about. Right. Completely honest in a relationship. Where I come from, that's weak and cowardly. Men don't do that. What's wrong with you? All men run around. Not in the sunlight of the spirit. I'm reliable and dependable. And I don't say that to, to both of us. It's just where God made us. That's how we are. That makes absolutely no sense to folks like us. The most unreliable, unpredictable, sick and suffering folks become the most reliable, the most integrity, the most honorable, the most loyal, the most God-inspired uh, uh, people. We become great agents. I was talking to a gentleman earlier. Great generals. How do they become great generals in the army? A lot of them have seen the most action. Their backs have been against the wall. They've been in crossfire. They've seen it all. They're journeymen. 20 years later, they're general, and they know how to go to war. They know how to lead the troops. Who do you think makes the greatest agents for God in Alcoholics Anonymous? Those of us who have seen the battles. Because we know what, I know what you're going through. I know what you're going through. And I can pull you out because I've been in the same hole. I know what it looks like. And just hold on. I'll pull you out. And off we go. We get spiritual wings in Alcoholics Anonymous, guys. We get our spiritual wings and we go fly. God allows us to go fly, heal the lives of others through God's power. It's the great work we get to do. Of myself, I am nothing. The Father doeth the works. Huh? That's all I got. Peace. <laughs>